I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. And I just want to share a real simple message. You know, a lot of times when we have these special services, I sort of simplify things. And you don't have a handout today. Um, too many other details in the pie. Um, but you're only going to need to write down about five things. So if you, if, uh, don't tell Brother Al I said this, but you could actually do it on the back of an uh, envelope, <laughs> an offering envelope. Um, but uh, it's very, very simple truths today. I want to talk about the altars of our lives and what those altars look like and have looked like. And I'll just use a couple of words that you would be familiar with. Um, some people um, talk about <clears throat> milestones in their life. And I looked up the phrase, what that means, a long time ago, and, and was um, it just triggered a bunch of things in my head uh, about how milestones actually work. In, in the old days, literally in, in the... the or early ancient Greek days and other things, uh, people would take a big rock and put it beside the road, some, some horse path that was going along, and that rock was a, a mile marker, or a, uh, didn't necessarily mark miles. It marked a place that was significant, like somebody's supposed to turn here and go to up the side of this mountain to this guy's house, or it might mark a, uh, a certain distance uh, that, that a person had traveled, and uh, it needed to be there to remind them, to tell them, uh, important information about their journey. Um, then we have this other phrase that's in our culture a lot called a benchmark. And a lot of corporations and companies use this now. Well, you know, you didn't benchmark this and you didn't reach your benchmark on that. And so I started researching that term. And I know uh, Mark Wadier probably knows where that one comes from, but it's an old British term. Uh, they don't know the origin date of it, but it goes way back to, to the original surveyors uh, when they would make markings um, to try to tr- try to survey things and keep everything straight lines, straight and true and level on maps and geography and all those kind of things. Um, they had a little mark they would put. They, had, they made a, what everybody calls an arrow point. And they would put a, a line across that arrow point, and it was a benchmark that the next surveyor could, could use that line as a level line to, to level out everything else. And, and uh, some of our lives have uh, good benchmarks <laughs> that are level. Some of our lives have not so good benchmarks. Some of our lives have milestones um, that you would say, well, this was a huge pl- part of my life, or this is a huge thing that happened in my life. And some of them you would look at and say, that was really good for me, or that was really bad for me. Um, or something, something traumatic happened. And we look at those things, I was thinking about the other terms like watershed moments and those kind of things. In the Old Testament, there's a whole bunch of terms that fit that. I want to just take you to, to the altars, though. And I, I started researching all the times the word altars mentioned throughout the Bible really just throughout the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the altars and the rocks were built as memorials for God. Um, he would just tell them to do it. As a matter of fact, Noah is the first one we know about. The first altar that we know was built was when Noah uh, landed. Finally, the ark landed, and uh, they got out, and they, sat, they built an altar and then sacrificed animals uh, uh, to God for His faithfulness, for protecting them through the worldwide flood. And uh, so they built a uh, memorial there. And then there's another huge altar uh, moment that occurs. Well, you have to kind of track. Let me just tell you about the famous ones. You'd know these real easy. Um, There was an altar that God asked Abraham, who we're going to talk about, to build to sacrifice his his son Isaac. And uh, he sent Abraham up Mount Moriah and said, Now, when you get to the top of this mountain, I want you to sacrifice your only son. On that altar, and uh, we in in the children's books I grew up with, and the stories, the flannel graph stories that I grew up with, that that sacrifice moment I always pictured 
um, Isaac as a, as a little boy, sort of a 10, 11, 12-year-old boy maybe, um, and, and Abraham carried him. The truth is, if you study the history of it, Isaac was 30 years old. He was in his mid-30s, <clears throat> and uh, he actually carried the wood for the altar, <clears throat> probably strapped to his back, up that mountainside. And uh, when Abraham had to build that rock altar to sacrifice him on, um, those, those had to be some painful bricks that he laid, um, saying, God, you've got to have a better plan than this. And we believe, I believe when you study that passage in Genesis 22, I believe you'll find that Abraham had faith that even if God required him to take his son's life, God would raise his son from the dead. Uh, because this son was the promised son. And God had made some special promises to Abraham. And so Abraham has this huge altar moment on uh, Mount Moriah, Genesis 22, um, where he has to willingly sacrifice his son, and his 30-something-year-old son has to willingly be a sacrifice. Now, if you study your history well, you know that's a picture of uh, the New Testament. When Jesus says to his son, I need you to willingly be a sacrifice, I'm going to willingly offer you, and you need to be a willing 30-something-year-old sacrifice to pay for sins. And uh, so, so the Old Testament is a beautiful picture, and God provides a ram at the last minute, and Abraham's son is not uh, actually, his life did not have to be taken on that hill. But it's interesting, the same mountain that that occurs on is the same historical mountain that Calvary occurs on. The same, the same exact place that occurs is where um, God requires his son to pay uh, for those things. So it's pretty powerful, uh, powerful history there around those altars. Um, and uh, there's a couple other altars you might remember. There's really a, a great one where um, Elijah has to build an altar. And he actually has some people help him build this altar. And he says, now I want you to put an animal on there. And then I want you to just douse it in water. Um, go get a bunch of seawater and just cover this thing. And water, 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 water. And uh, then, then Elijah prays and God consumes that altar. And it was after they'd spent the whole day waiting on the false prophets... Um, of Baal to offer up an, uh, an idol and uh, for, for fire to consume it. And that's a famous altar in the Bible. Um, there's another one that's really maybe not as famous, but I love this one. Um, Dave, David's asked, uh, God sends a prophet to David and says, um, David, I want you to build an altar to me for all the things I've done for you. And David was a young king at the time, and he's traveling. And so David has to go through this man's field. And God says, build it on his threshing floor, this, this area that he's made. Um, to do his uh, work for his farm, I want you to build it on his threshing floor. This man's name is Ornan. And, uh, and so David goes to buy the field from the man, and the man says, no, you're, first of all, you're the king, so there will be no purchasing. You can just have my field. And then there's this other thing you're saying, that, that God told you to do this on my field, so I'm very honored by that, so I'm not going to sell you anything. You just have my field. That's when King David very wisely and very clearly taught us about what it means to, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says to, to Ornan, he says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I can't do it. If it doesn't cost me to sacrifice to the Lord, then it's not honorable. And so, Orn, so, so David went ahead and purchased it anyway, even though he was begged not to. By the owner, he said, we are going, I'm going to sacrifice my um, finances for this field as God instructed me to because it makes the sacrifice sweeter. And so there are times when we give unto the Lord, by the way, as his children that are not sacrificial. We think they are. Or we 
pretend they are. I used to, I tease my church sometimes, those of you that are guests today, um, about the, um, the drop-off clothes for Goodwill. You know, when you, when you go through your closet and you got all this stuff you can't wear anymore or it's worn out almost or all that kind of stuff and you take it to Goodwill. Sometimes we, we do that as Christians and we feel so good about ourselves. You know, we gave, I gave, you know, not too long ago, I took the two couches out of our house and <clears throat> loaded them up in the trailer and took them to Goodwill. And I called the lady about it, and I said, uh, I got these two couches. She said, what kind of condition are they in? I said, we have a dog. She goes, take them to the store on, on uh, airport where they can clean it first. I said, yeah, that's exactly what you need to do. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I, when I dropped that off, it wasn't like it was a, wow, I'm really serving the Lord today. You know what I was doing? I was getting rid of something that was an, a pain to us at our house. And uh, so it wasn't a sacrifice moment. I can't go, yeah, I, I donated, uh, donated our furniture to uh, more needy people. Um, you know, they're less fortunate people and they can use that couch. I feel sorry for whoever gets that couch, especially if they didn't clean it. That thing was a disaster. And some of you have been to my house and sat in that couch. It's the one where when you sit down and you feel like your hiney's on the ground, even though your feet go over the front rail because there was no sort of support there. You know what I'm talking about? That couch, you know, it was like there was nothing in that couch anymore. The pads were so worn out. And so, but sometimes as Christians, you know, we, we drop all those clothes off and do that. And we think, oh, I'm, I'm giving to the Lord today. And the Lord wants to go, you know, sacrificing your worn out clothes or trying to make room in your closet or your shed is not really sacrificing. So, you know, David had to teach us a lot in, the, in his altar moment there. It taught us a lot. And I want to take you to, to Genesis chapter 12 and just give you a couple of Simple truths this morning, and then hopefully an object lesson we're going to do this morning um, about Abraham and one of his early moments with this sacrifice that he had to uh, give. In, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relative, from your father's house, to a land which I will show you. Now, don't forget that phrase, I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless all those who bless you and, those, and, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. I want to tell you between verse 3 and 4, there's a gap of time that has to take place. Because... First of all, Abraham was a very wealthy fellow. He owned a lot of land. He owned a lot of um, st- uh, livestock, and, and he had many servants. And so he's got to create what we would call in today's language a caravan. He's got to pack all that stuff up on animals and pack it all up and put it alongside his barns and his sheds and get it all ready to, to load when we start this journey. Um, but then my favorite part, and many of you know this, my favorite part would be actually the conversation he had to have that afternoon when he got home. Because he had to walk in and see his wife, Sarah. He loves very much. We know this from all the history of Abraham and Sarah. But he had to walk in and say to her, Honey, um, we're moving. And uh, she would go, Moving? You know, we've just, I mean, we've got the perfect deal here. We're, you know, all our fields are planted. All our stuff's, you know, the livestock's got grazing. There's plenty of water. Everything's great. No, we're moving. Um, because and, and you could hear Abraham try to figure all this out. He would say, the Lord told me that we need to pack up and move. And she would be like, well, okay, that changed everything. If, you, if you'd have said that to begin with, if the Lord said it, you know, I'll be packing right now. And I could just see her start grabbing stuff and going, you know, what, what, when do we have to move? Well, we need to go soon. The Lord said move soon. Okay? But then I'd like to hear her ask this question to Abraham. Where are we going? 
And remember where the Lord told him? The Lord did not tell him anywhere. He said, I'm going to show you where we're going as you go. <laughs> so there's a, there's a great sermon a friend of mine preached years and years ago called Going Not Knowing. <laughs> I feel that way a lot in my life, by the way. I'm going not knowing what I'm doing. But uh, it was actually going with the Lord, not knowing exactly where the Lord's going to lead you. Going not knowing is what Abraham's doing. And I love his faith moment in that. I think he's awesome. But then I think, how would you ever tell your wife that? <laughs> we're going to go somewhere, and he didn't exactly tell me where we're going to go. I just think it's one of the funny parts of the Bible where, you know, I think Sarah's probably going, um, let me get some people to sit you down. You've been out in the heat way too long. You know, when you were cutting that tree down the other day, did some, didn't I hear something hit you on the head? Because, you know, God would not tell us to go without telling you where. That doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it does. If you know God, it does. But Abraham's wife would have been, because you ladies are this way, you just need details. My wife will say, hey, what are we going to do about this challenge to our home or our, you know, the structure of our home needs some fixing and repairs or, or to our finances. You know, we got kids going into college. Remember when our kids were all going into college? What are we going to do about this? And I'm going, um, I, I, I'll take care of it. I got it. I'll take care of it. You know what she wants to know. She doesn't want to know I'll take care of it. She wants to know the plan. Well, fine, you're going to take care of it. But what's the plan? I'm going, I don't have a plan. I don't have a thing to do with that. I mean, we're just going to figure it all out as we go. But she wants a plan. So I'm thinking about Sarah in this moment with Abraham and Sarah going, she's going, where are we going? And he's going, I, he didn't say. <laughs> he didn't tell me. And then, and then I remember, I would, I would think, well, she would go, well, then how will we follow him? He didn't say. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I can see Abraham just sitting in his house with his wife trying to go, wow, you got to trust me on this one. You just got to go with me. And she does. That's the cool thing because between three and four, all of that stuff had to happen. But you just read the Bible. It says, God said, go. Verse four, Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from, from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and thus they came to the land of Canaan. Now that's what we call uh, today the promised land. God is taking Abraham, the father of Israel, the father of the Hebrew children, to the promised land right here. Go here, stay here. You know, if he'd have stayed there, saved a whole lot of writing in the Old Testament, but he did. Anyway, so, so it, it, as God provides all this for him, he takes him to the promised land. Verse 6, Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem and the oaks of Morah. Now the Canaanite um, was in the land. The Canaanites lived there in Canaan land, of course. And the Lord appeared, verse 7, to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give you this land. So he built an altar there for the Lord who had appeared to him. This is one of the first times we know the Lord appeared to a man, by the way. But Abraham had a revelation from God. He had instructions from God. Then he had a revelation from God. And when he got into the process of all that, and he got into this, to the land, to Canaan land, he actually stopped and built an altar. And he would have built it with a lot bigger rocks than, than I brought for us today. But he would have taken rocks, big rocks, and just made a pile. He would have just made a pile of rocks as, as big as he could make 
and say, this is an altar unto the Lord. And you, if you'd have just been walking through the forest that day or through the wilderness, you'd have said, well, somebody made a pile of rocks. But if you were part of Abraham's family, you would go, that's not a pile of rocks. No. No, 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 that's not a pile of rocks. See, it's kind of like I can talk about my favorite knot over here. This is just a, 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 wood, a brick and wooden altar. That's all it is. That's not a brick and wooden altar to me. This is the knot where at 17 years old, sitting right about where these guys are, God called me to be a full-time pastor. A guy who hates speaking in front of people, really hates singing in front of people, Okay, who gets nervous to do all that, who did not do good in high school or college with public speaking. God asked me to come out of that pew and kneel down right here and tell David J. Jones, whose picture you saw, God's called me to be a pastor like you. I want to be like you. And, and I'm telling you, this is just a piece of wood to some people. It's just a brick, but it's not. This is an altar of my life right here. So this altered my life. Now, I had an earlier one in the second grade at, at a little Christian school. I asked Jesus into my heart because of a chapel message that scared me really bad. And I didn't want to go to hell where there's a lot of fire, I understood from that message. And so I went to my teacher and she led me to Christ. Myra Locke led me to Christ. And I came to, to know Christ at a really young age. But when I uh, grew up in the Lord and in this church, I was following the Lord in a lot of different ways. And listening to the Lord. But the Lord had to give me, like Abraham, very specific directions. I was at University of South Alabama enrolled in engineering. And God's like, no, 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 no. You're going to go to Bible college. Well, nobody in my family's ever been away from college. Nobody's ever been away. How do you go out of town to go to somewhere? That's, I'd never been away from anywhere. And I was very much a homebody. My family's all here. My mom's, you know, world's greatest cook lives here. Why would I leave all that? Because God said... You know, go down there and tell that pastor. And then David Jones became the mentor for me and an instructor. And here's what you need to do. Let's go visit Southeastern Bible College in Birmingham, get you enrolled, get you started, see what we can do to point you in that direction. And the rest is, you know, history because I'm sitting in David J. Jones' office every, you know, week studying the Word of God, teaching and preaching at Northside Bible Church. This was an altar of my life. And everybody has those kind of moments. Now look at verse 8. Then Abraham proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the, east, on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So once again, he's traveling in Canaan land now. And by the way, if you go from Ai, the town of Ai, to Bethel, Ai means ruin. Bethel means blessings of God. So it's a beautiful picture that you get if you just study the history of the journey. God is taking Abraham from ruin into his blessings. And he, when he gets there, Abraham's connecting all the dots of his life and recognizing God's doing something else in my life. God's connecting with me. I'm going to stop and I'm going to make, make this a moment. This is a special moment, special place for me. And so Abraham builds another altar. Now... Um, there's a, there's a, the rest of chapter 12 is a famine comes into the land. And uh, Abraham sees this famine take, take place. And he decides, by the way, there's nothing in the scriptures that says God said go to Egypt. Abraham decides he should go to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. 
And some of you know this story a little bit, but Abraham goes into Egypt and he's afraid that the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, is going to want his wife. And so he tells this huge lie. He actually doesn't follow any instructions of the Lord. He's following his own thinking now. He goes into Egypt. Remember how that turned out for the Israelites, by the way? Do you remember any history of Egypt and Israel many years later? 430 years of slavery in Egypt. It all starts right here when Abraham tours Egypt, gets connected with them, and actually leaves there with some of the slaves and some of the workers there. Um, And he was disobedient to God. He almost got the Pharaoh and everybody else in trouble with Jehovah God. In that moment in Genesis chapter 12, there's a whole disobedient section of this good man Abraham who's faithfully following God, but then he gets his own idea, goes out and does his own thing, and then he goes back. Look in Genesis 13. So Abraham went from Egypt to Negev, and there his wife with all his belongings with him, and Lot with him. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. Um, By the way, he left Egypt with a lot more silver and gold than he came in with. And, And you know what his money turned into be for him? Lots and lots of trouble. Abraham's life, everything Abraham got when he went into Egypt right there, turns out to be a problem for Israel, the entire, his whole family, which is the nation of Israel, much later. And I don't have time to preach all that, but I just want you to see verse 3. And he went uh, on his journey from Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning uh, between Bethel and Ai, that's what we talked about, to the place of the altar, which he had made before formerly. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. whole time he's in Egypt, no altar, no connections with God. When he gets back to his land that God had called him to, to Ai, to Bethel, when he gets back out of ruin and into the place where God had called him, he goes, there's that altar I built. Oh, Lord. I have gone astray, and I've had to come back to this altar. You understand how that altar works for him? The altar for, for Abraham was a place that he had to revisit and reconnect with, and he had to remember. I want to say to you that God intends for us to have memorials in our life. I've watched with great sadness this week as the, the government keeps trying to shut down the, the World War II memorial, and the, the veterans are like, hey... You know, we paid in blood for that. One of them tweeted, it was one of my favorite things my son was telling me as he followed that. One of the veterans uh, tweeted from the, the war memorial, uh, where the vet, World War II veterans memorial where it was shut down with all the, the little barred uh, fences there. Um, they got there and it was closed, but those men drove, flew and drove a long way, paid a lot of money to see that deal, and they're going to go see it. And so one of the veterans tweeted, he said... Uh, well, Normandy was closed when we got there, too. So <laughs> we're going through. <laughs> you know, we're just going through. And so they move the barricades and they go see the memorial that was for them, for what they sacrificed for. Well, that memorial has huge significance for those men that, that fought and, and uh, their friends uh, fought and died in those wars. Um, to, for our country, you know, we don't speak German. <laughs> it's because those men were sacrificing so much on, that beha- on behalf of all that for us. And, and all the things that that entails. Those men were like, you know what, we're just going to have to go see that thing because it's so important. Well, I want to say to you, that's a man-made memorial for a man-made event. But listen, and these are three lessons I want you to get. Number one, God speaks to his children. I'm willing to bet there's not a person in this room 
Not one that God has not spoken to specifically. With directions, with information, with guidance. God gives us specific instructions through our lives. Even non-believers get instructions, by the way. It's to repent and seek God um, for help. But believers, if you know Christ your Lord and Savior, if you understand the cross of Calvary and how it paid for your sins, God speaks to you all the time. He gives you instructions all the time. So the th- first thing I want to remind you about as we just talk about the altars of our lives is you have some of those milestone places. Somewhere in your past, there's some very significant places where God spoke specifically to you. And you're supposed to, by the way, remember them. The second thing I want you to do is just make sure you understand you're supposed to keep Keep those as important places. We tend to lose track of some of that. But when God speaks, you're supposed to remember the message in the place. It's why he had the Israelites and why he had Abraham. And later on, by the way, the first time we know Joshua, the, the leader of Israel that followed Moses, the first time we know Joshua ever built an altar, it was after Ai, sound familiar? After Ai's little tiny town and little tiny army had beat up Israelites so bad, and then they had to pray and get God to clean them out of their sin, Achan and his sin. And then Israel's army went back and wiped out Ai out of the land of the Canaanites, the promised land they're supposed to be in. And when they did that, Joshua built an altar. He put some rocks down and he said, guys, this is where God protected us from our own mistakes. We made a lot of sinful mistakes. And this is where God overcame our sins. Now I want to say to you, All of us have places where God's spoken to us, but you're supposed to remember them. You're also supposed to tell others about them. You know, when when God asked the Israelites to do these things, he He would say to them, Look, when your children come back by and see these pile of rocks, you gotta tell them what it is. You gotta tell them what happened here. Let them know exactly what happened. Here, how God did a great work in your life. How God, listen, how God spoke to you. You know, a lot of children in today's culture don't know that God speaks to their parents because their parents don't ever tell them. We keep our religious life kind of secret sometimes. We protect our children from all that stuff. But God speaks to every one of us. And we should say sometimes, God's speaking to me. It's, it's, I'm, I'm hearing God give direction and instructions Regarding our finances, regarding our church family, regarding our our sacrifice, regarding helping missionaries, regarding supporting uh, the work of the Lord, regarding my career. God, God changes careers all the time. He puts people all the time into crazy things like full-time ministry. He does it all the time. And it may be that God's been speaking to you and you've ignored it or You're choosing not to remember, but I'm saying to you, the reason God makes those places in our lives is so that we can have that moment in our life where we say, oh, that's it. And so, see, like, I'm going to take one of these. I like this one. It's a cracked rock, so it just speaks of how I am, kind of cracked up. Um, And I'm just going to put that on my knot because that's my moment that I remember right here kneeling. I remember trembling while Brother Jones prayed for me. Um, and told me he would talk to me in his office later um, and all that. And then the third thing I really want you to make sure, you have to be sure you get this, is God always gives us second chances. When Abraham messed up, Abraham went where he was supposed to go, and, and the food dried up there, and he got freaked out. Without instruction from God, he went to Egypt 
tried to solve all that, made a mess of that. And then God said, go back, go right back. And God gives us second chances. When we disobey, we can always return to God and we can look back and say, oh God, you are so faithful here. You are so faithful here. How could I have ever doubted you?